Hello, and welcome to A Health Podacy. So I think what we've learned over time is that maybe this way of trying to, you know, have people have skin in the game or to avoid moral hazard is not really working the way that we intended and may actually be increasing um, higher healthcare spending. I'm your host, Alan Weil. Almost all commercial insurance plans have out-of-pocket provisions that require the patient to pay for a share of the cost of care, deductibles, which you have to meet before insurance pays anything at all, and co-payments, where the patient pays either a fixed amount for or a share of the cost of each service received, are commonplace. Deductibles, in particular, are annual resetting at the beginning of every plan year. Now, as a general matter, cost sharing reduces the health insurance premium by simply shifting a share of the cost to the enrollee. But it also affects utilization because having to pay for a share of the care can deter people from getting it. And it affects price shopping behavior because it determines how much of the price of a service actually makes its way to the patient. How cost sharing actually works in practice is the subject of today's health policy. Joining me are Stacey Duzitsina and Michal Horny. Dr. Duzitsina is an associate professor at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine, and Dr. Horny is an assistant professor at Emory University. They published a paper in the February 2021 issue of Health Affairs that analyzed the out-of-pocket spending patterns for people with commercial health insurance, with a particular focus on the timing of when expenses are incurred. Their unique analysis points to some distorting effects of the provisions of a typical health insurance plan, and that's what we'll talk about today. Uh, Dr. Duzitsina, Dr. Orni, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thank you. Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about this study you did, which gets inside the black box of cost sharing in a way that I really haven't seen before. Just begin with the backdrop here. Why does the timing of when people hit their deductible or pay an out-of-pocket share, why does that even matter? Let me start with an analogy. At the beginning of last year, uh, when the COVID-19 pandemic started picking up, we heard a lot about flattening the curve. The reason was that if there were too many COVID cases at once, the healthcare system would get overwhelmed. Well, it could actually take care of the same number of cases if they were spread out over time. And the same concept applies to medical out-of-pocket spending. You can think about it as that, you know, even relatively large amounts of -of out-of-pocket spending can be manageable if they're spread out over time. But if they're incurred within a few days, uh, many patients may not have enough liquid assets to afford such large concentrated spending. And now we are finally getting to wide timing uh, of -of out-of-pocket spending matters. Um, About four in five people with commercial insurance have a health plan with a deductible. And before they hit their deductible, they're responsible for the full cost of care. And consequently, uh, large amounts of -of out-of-pocket spending can be accrued very quickly. And our research focuses exactly on the speed with which out-of-pocket spending is accrued. Yeah. So when I think about my insurance plan, I sort of think of three phases, although I hate it when I get to the third, right? So the first is at the beginning of the year. And as you say, everything's on me except for preventive services or things that are that are covered. And then once I run through my deductible, I pay a share of the expenses. Um, but then if I hit my out-of-pocket maximum, which means I've spent a lot or used a lot of health care, 
everything's back on the insurance plan, right? Because that's the meaning of an out-of-pocket maximum. So the amount that I'm going to pay is different at the beginning of the year, at the middle of the year, and if I have a high use year at the end of the year. So I understand you're saying it's not so much about timing. It's about, uh, uh, it, it's about the, 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 well, let's talk about what it's about because it, 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 there, there are different ways to think about it. Let's go ahead and get into the findings of the paper. So what does it take to hit these uh, levels of these out-of-pocket thresholds that you analyzed in the paper? We really try to look at the problem of temporal concentration of out-of-pocket costs from many different perspectives. We consider several thresholds, uh, be it uh, certain percentages of annual out-of-pocket costs or specific dollar amounts. Without necessarily going into the specific numbers, the main message is that for most people, even if they use healthcare throughout the year, their out-of-pocket costs are concentrated within very short time intervals. Uh, you know, one threshold that we considered was uh, $400. That is uh, an amount that is commonly used in research uh, because most Americans would have problems affording that amount of money if they experience an unexpected expense. We found that uh, about 42% of our sample reached that amount in a year. But what, what we find striking is that 33% uh, incurred that, uh, that amount in just one healthcare encounter, in just one day. So basically what you're saying is that uh, there's one encounter. It could be, obviously, hospitalizations can be a whole lot more than that. But even a complex uh, office visit with a procedure done or an outpatient uh, procedure could do that. A very expensive drug could probably do that. And what you're saying is this threshold of $400, which is something that a lot of people just can't do if it's unexpected, they're hit with that expense on one day. A third of the people who spend that much hit that expense on one day in the year. Is that how I'm understanding this? Exactly. Exactly. That's precisely right. And you looked at some other thresholds that are even higher. and uh, just give me a sense of those because uh, $400 is a lot and we know it's a barrier to many people, but there are a lot of plans out there with higher deductibles um, and a lot of cost sharing. So so give us a snapshot of, of, the, uh, of the analysis at a higher level. The other level that we considered in our analysis was $1,300. And we chose this threshold because in 2017, the year of our uh, sample, that was the definition of a high deductible health plan. What we found is that in 2017, 19% of individuals, so approximately one in five, incurred $1,300 in out-of-pocket costs per year. But again, 38% of them reached that amount in just one day. And additional 15% uh, of individuals reached that amount within 30 days, within one month. You know, we also looked at people with very high levels of spending. So we, we included one other threshold of people reaching the ACA's stated out-of-pocket maximum for that year, which was $7,150. And even though not many people reached that threshold in our study at less than 1%, uh, we found that those who did, still 14% of those people reached that level of spending in one day. 
and about 30% of people reach that spending in one month. And you can imagine that those individuals likely had some form of a healthcare emergency, but we also know there could be other, you know, people in the mix who had, you know, a new diagnosis of cancer or other um, chronic conditions that resulted in them having a, a bunch of uh, healthcare need in one month or in one day. But $7,150 would be a real struggle for many of us to be able to pay in a single encounter. Yeah, so these numbers are just so interesting. And, and the challenge is to figure out the implications after you've done this incredible analysis. So the 7150 number is very high, as you point out. Let's go, and it's a small number of people, but if one out of five are hitting $1,300 and more than a third of those are reaching it a day, let me just follow up with a couple of questions to make sure I understand that. So first of all, I'm going to assume that if I hit it in a day, there's some in a provider out there who's billing me and that bill is going to come due and I'm presumably going to have a limited amount of time to pay that bill. And, you know, it might, they might, uh, they might give me a little more time, I, 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 but it could go into collection. So the, the financial strain here, if that all happens in one day is potentially, you know, quite, ex quite significant. So that seems like implication number one, but, the second thing I'm trying to get at or understand is um, for both these numbers, all three of these numbers, this isn't about whether it's a deductible or a copayment. This is just the total amount that's due to someone, right? So, so there could actually be an underlying bill that's much larger. This isn't just about the, the structure. I mean, there, there, there are ways to get to this number in a lot of different insurance structures. Is that, is that the right way to think about this? Correct. When we did the analysis, we focused on patients' out-of-pocket spending uh, on the actual dollar amounts, uh, regardless of through which mechanism they were accrued. Because to the patient, it doesn't really matter if the $1,300 consists of partially of a deductible, partially of a coinsurance or a copayment. It matters how much money they have to take out of their own pockets. Well, we're going to uh, look a little bit more at uh, what the implications of these findings are after we take a short break. The Rural Health Research Gateway is your preeminent resource for free, timely, and relevant rural health research funded by the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. Visit Gateway at ruralhealthresearch.org and subscribe to Gateway's research alerts to be notified whenever new rural health research is published. Follow Gateway on Twitter and Facebook at RHR Gateway for key research findings. This message was paid for by the Rural Health Research Gateway at the University of North Dakota School of Medicine and Health Sciences. Hey everyone, hope you're enjoying the show. We have exciting news for listeners of A Health Podacy. Next month's issue of Health Affairs is dedicated exclusively to border health and immigration. Our July issue features new research on migration and health policy at the U.S.-Mexico border and beyond. You can pre-order your copy now at healthaffairs.org or click the link in the show notes. And we're back. I'm speaking with Dr. Duzatsina and Dr. Orni about 
out-of-pocket payments and uh, the concentration of those among particular patients. Uh, before we went to the break, you, you gave us a lot of numbers, and I'm trying to sort of tease out some of the implications. You know, when I think about the literature on underinsurance, it's often commented that high deductibles and copayments are sort of a tax on people with chronic conditions because every year they're going to run through their deductible. It sounds like based on the high share of people who hit these numbers in a day or a month, that this isn't primarily people with uh, chronic conditions that require sort of a steady state of spending. You'd probably, but you could have a chronic condition that requires a steady state of, of a high level of spending and you have a high level every month and this would happen in January or February and by then you'd be through uh, your deductible. Can you just give me a sense of how much you think this is about chronic conditions and how much it's uh, more uh, unanticipated acute episodes? So I, I think for some groups of patients, we see more spread out healthcare services use. Um, you know, in one group, for example, we look at people who have higher levels of prescription drug spending as a proportion of their total healthcare spending. And they did have more months of healthcare services use during the year, which you could just imagine is, you know, if you go every month to fill your chronic disease medication at the pharmacy, that counts as 12 healthcare encounters if you started in January and went every month. So we do see these different patterns of care that we might expect um, where people with more prescription drugs as part of their total healthcare spending are seeing more healthcare encounters to get to these total thresholds of spending. You know, I, I want to go back and respond to one thing that you said about thinking about how this works for the patient who's interacting with the healthcare system. And one of the things that I think is interesting is what type of care you can get before paying versus after paying. And so a lot of times, especially when thinking about pharmacy services, people have to have the money before they can get the prescription to take home with them. So we know there's a large amount of prescription drug abandonment when people have high out-of-pocket costs. So if you went to the pharmacy and the pharmacist told you it would be $500 or $1,000 for your prescription, you may leave the pharmacy without the drugs. On the other hand, a lot of medical care, you get the care and then later on you get a bill. And so there are these different dynamics that I think we see, part of which are, you know, drugs may cost less and you may be filling them every month and have your payment naturally broken up more by filling those products, but you may also be missing a lot more data where people don't actually go on to fill the prescription because they would have had to pay something that was beyond their budget. Well, that's really interesting. And so I, I wanna use that as a, a segue into sort of the, the, the second side of this. So one side is the burden on the patient and whether they can afford it and whether they can get care. But the other is that if you talk to the actuaries, the design of insurance benefits is designed to affect utilization. You know that when you increase cost sharing, utilization goes down. There's a big debate about how much of that is appropriate and inappropriate, necessary and unnecessary. But, but the, just in sheer numbers, uh, it changes people's purchasing decisions or, and their care decisions. So 
help me understand that side of it, not just sort of the burden on the patient, but if if you're sitting atop this healthcare system and thinking, I want to leverage consumerism to make people better shoppers, what do the findings here tell you about whether or not we've set up a system that does that? I'm not sure that our findings suggest that we're doing that well. <laughs> and I think part of the issue is, is that you know, shopping for healthcare services is quite difficult. We know that the literature on, you know, being able to navigate healthcare services is is quite dismal in that, you know, people don't have the information that they need or may not make the the best decision when they have some information. The other thing is, is, you know, this concept of allowing people um, or thinking about, dissuading people from using unnecessary care. And, and I think that this is part of what's behind high deductibles and, and this clustering of payments for patients. But there is a real recognition and a growing recognition that these types of, you know, putting so much financial pressure on the patient may dissuade both necessary and unnecessary care. So I think what we've learned over time is that maybe this way of trying to you know, have people have skin in the game or to avoid moral hazard is not really working the way that we intended and may actually be increasing um, higher healthcare spending later on as people avoid the healthcare system at, because they're afraid of having these high cost encounters. So I want you to suspend uh, your disbelief if you have it. I certainly do about the uh ability of people to shop effectively. Um, and I want us to acknowledge that simply eliminating all of these cost-sharing provisions would increase premiums. And that's uh, that's a trade-off, but probably something that we'd have, that those who are paying with the premiums would have difficulty absorbing. So if we wanted to design a system that had less of the distortion but we weren't in a position to eliminate cost sharing. What relative to how insurance is designed now would you change? One option would be to you know get off uh, get rid of deductibles whatsoever and keep the other cost sharing mechanisms that we already have in place, such as co-payments and co-insurance. Another approach could be limit the annual deductible to an amount that's generally more affordable. These days, especially deductibles uh, in health plans on the marketplaces, they're in thousands of dollars. That is a problem. We talk about the size of an annual deductible, but a deductible does not necessarily have to be annual. It does not necessarily have to align with the time period it takes the Earth to orbit around the sun. And because most people experience the economy on a monthly basis. They get their monthly paychecks. They get. Uh, they have to pay bills every month. So one idea we're proposing in our paper is to institute monthly instead of annual deductibles. Obviously, the monthly de- uh, deductible amount would be less than the annual deductible. By this design, it would help spread out the cost of care for patients. So that's really interesting. And of course, uh, from an actuarial perspective, you could convert deductibles into cost sharing and not change the premium. Of course, the the co-payments 
would have to go up, but that uh, that lack of linearity that you described at the beginning could be handled actually relatively easy easily without the deductible. Um, but of course, again, you have to get the money somewhere. I want to ask because this I think of this as really foundational research. It it raises questions uh, that then lead to other questions as much as to answers. And so I'm just curious, what's next in this line of thinking? Well, I, you know, I personally think that there is a lot more that we can do thinking about, as you asked, you know, how do we pay for our health insurance benefits and and make that actuarially equivalent plan, but think about how to do it in a way that helps people to take the treatments and get the care that they need and not to delay necessary care. So I think that there's a lot more thinking that needs to be done about how to break up a deductible in a way that helps people and doesn't harm people. We know that policies tend to have unintended consequences. So how do we do that in a smart way? And I think part of that will include incorporating things like value-based insurance design, where we try to incentivize high-value care and think about you know, the way that deductibles may help some people to use care more carefully and wisely, uh, but also uh, they they do create problems for some people. So I think there's a, a lot of work that can be done in this space, and I'm really excited to, to be working with uh, Dr. Horney on, on this as well. Well, it's been, uh, it's been great talking to both of you. Um, I really look forward to what else you do in this area. Um, as I say, our, our hopes and goals for insurance design have been uh, sometimes quite ambitious with respect to calibrating what care people get and how and from whom and, and their, uh, their price-seeking and value-seeking behavior. And uh, we've often done that more on the basis of sort of theoretical concepts of how people might act than on the actual evidence we have a fair amount of evidence that people don't shop particularly well, but I feel like this adds a whole different dimension, which is that even if people can or would shop well or want to shop well, uh, the way the the cost structure actually appears to them really distorts what that behavior might be, and it can affect their ability to get care that they need in some very negative ways. So um, Dr. Duzetsina, Dr. Harney, uh, thank you so much for the paper and spending some time with me today on A Health Policy. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll tell a friend about A Health Policy. Health Policy is produced by Health Affairs, the leading journal for health policy research. The team behind the show includes Patty Sweet, Jeff Byers, Julia Vivolo, Sarah Kolk, and Sue Ducat. Like the show? Subscribe to A Health Policy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have a great morning, day, or evening. <laughs>